Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Hi, welcome to another episode of Renew Theology. Uh, We're here today to talk to you about fulfilled prophecy, something we're both really excited to talk about. Yeah, so we both started um, watching some videos from a pastor in Southern California, and his name is Mike Winger, and Mike Winger is a pretty big promoter of um, these prophecies, and when we first started watching them, we would get together and be like, oh my goodness, did you know this was in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And we would just freak out and share with each other, and it was just, it probably one of the catalysts of us searching deeper. Yeah, for sure. I know for myself personally, I... uh if you had ever asked me when I was in high school or in college, how do you know the Bible's true? I wouldn't have had an answer for you. Um, I would have had a bunch, but they would have been too scientific to actually mean anything to the normal person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, when I was in youth, you know, we did like the youth version of the Truth Project by uh, Focus on the Family. And, you know, and so I, I knew there was like historical, like archaeological evidence out there. But for me, it was just like I had no way of proving that to somebody else. And, you know, I I just couldn't memorize all these facts about... Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, exactly. So for me, if you had ever been like, well, how do you know the Bible's true? I would have been like, well, I just have a piece about it. You know, like it just just is right to me. But that's not going to mean a whole lot to somebody who's outside the Christian faith or who didn't have the same upbringing that I did. So, yeah, I think that it's something you maybe, you know, if you go to seminary or Bible school you may hear about that and you may, but then anybody who's, who's outside of that smaller group of Christians who has gone for formal Christian education, um, you just feel like, at least I personally just felt completely inadequate in that area where I, I didn't know how to prove the Bible was true to somebody outside of the faith. Yeah. Something my mom has um, talked about is that the things that she hears in church, all of those like stuffy answers that are more facts-based. She's like, the people that I'm around on a day-to-day basis in my job, that's not a way for me to communicate with them. Like, they don't get it. It's not, it doesn't open up conversation. It's more like, oh, there's the Christian girl again with all of this other, like, facts information. It doesn't, it doesn't touch them. It doesn't reach them where they are because it's a lot of stuff to, like, take across to them. Yeah, and I think it is biblical, too, that we that we have an answer for people, right? Like first Peter three, um, 14 to 16 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So I think that having a defense or a reason for the faith or having a reason for our hope, you can have that in, in many different ways, right? Like yep. you can do that by sharing your own personal testimony. Yep. You can do that by proving the Bible. You can do that um, in in your actions and the way you live and the love you show to other people. There are lots of ways to give a defense or a reason the hope and faith that you have. Um, But one way that we can do this is by talking about fulfilled prophecy. So the first prophecy we're talking about is found in Ezekiel chapter 26. So we encourage you to, if you are in a place where you can, open up your Bible and flip there because so we can read it 
together and you can see it on your own Bible. So um, in Ezekiel chapter 26, um, we, we read the prophecy about this ancient city of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Now, Tyre is lo- was located in what is now modern-day Lebanon, and it was on the coast. Um, and because it was on the coast and just the nature of the world at that time, it was really the main uh, seaport. Um, it was nicknamed the Queen of the Seas, and uh, it was also the capital of the Phoenician Empire. So if you're maybe a bit of a history nerd, um, you may know more about the Phoenician Empire, but um, the city of Tyre was its capital. It was the biggest city in the empire, which was the largest empire in the known world at that time. So it was a, it was a big deal. Yeah, so if you look at a map of the Mediterranean Sea, um, it's going to be all the way over on the right, just above Israel. And now the important part about that bit of geography is that it's called the Levant or the Levant. It's a section of area where people traveled through all the time because they're going from northern Africa, Egypt, and then up through um, to modern day Turkey. That was That's like a trading route. Mm-hmm. So it's right in the middle of all of these people trying to go back and forth as well as connected to the Mediterranean Sea, which at that time was a huge um, mode of, of commercial traffic. So think of large like container ships now that we have in the world because mm-hmm. this was essentially quote unquote the known world. Yeah. So the city of Tyre itself uh, was actually 2,000 years old at the time of the prophecy. So it was a very well-established city and no one had ever actually breached the city. Nobody had ever um, successfully breached its walls. So it was a very, very powerful city, um, militarily sound, and uh, it was really well defended um, by its, its navy. They had a lot of time to consider what would be the best defense for them geographically. Um, without. Yeah. And obviously they did well because they won a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, So we're going to just read the first section of verses here. Um, We're going to read Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 3 to 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you, as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So I'm just going to make a point of a few phrases in here uh, that are going to become important as we discuss the fulfillment of this prophecy. The first one is that many nations will come against Tyre. So there's going to be more than one. There's going to be several. And then it describes uh, these nations coming against Tyre as the sea brings up its waves. So in other words, one after the other, there's going to be a succession of them. Rather than one giant tidal wave. Right. They're not coming all at once. It's not like many nations are going to group together and attack Tyre. It's going to be one after another. Which is ironic because Tyre is a 
coastline city. It's right on the coast by the water. <laughs> yeah, this is an analogy that would have been applicable. Yeah, meaning suitable. It would make sense. Yeah. Uh, the other the other thing I want you to notice is that they're they're pretty p- specific about how this is going to happen. Uh, they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. So the city's actually going to be breached. Um, its walls are going to be broken down and its towers or strongholds are also going to be broken down. So that's not necessarily a military necessity. Like if you're coming against a town, you're going to pick two or three places to get over the wall and let that be it. What they're saying is they're going to break down the towers and the walls and it's going to be more of a humiliation and a devastation rather than simple um, taking over the city. Um, Our next section of verses is Ezekiel 26 verses 7 to 9. So I'll go ahead and read those. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. He will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise a roof of shields against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls and with his axes he will break down your towers. So this, of course, is a a really specific prophecy. Yeah, there's lots of details that would be hard to fudge. Yeah, like we're given like a name. (laughs) You know, like a very specific king is going to attack. So Nebuchadnezzar was a very prominent king in um, ancient Near East history, which is what we, like the scientific title for the Middle East, the more diplomatic title, I should say. And so he was, we we can date him in the Bible. We know where he was. He's touched a lot of different, nations other than just Israel or just Tyre. So that's a pretty specific person to be talking about. So then we go on and he says, it says, he will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. So it's kind of weird to think of a city having daughters. Or another application could be um, Toronto. Yeah. So you have the main city of Toronto and then you have all these little smaller communities outside. And as Toronto's grown, those cities have been more absorbed into suburbs of Toronto now. Yeah. But, you know, way back, those would be farming communities. Oh, yeah. And so what they would do is they would be the ones, you know, living out in the country, farming and, and all this kind of stuff. But then they would they would sell their products to the people in the city. Yeah. Right? So the city was more about commerce and the outer was more about providing with the for the city. Yeah. This is a pretty standard structure even today, right? Like, yeah. It's just how people settle down. Yeah. So the next part is the fact that he will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you. The fact that the attack is going to come in the form of a siege or a siege wall is pretty important. We're going to talk about that a bit more later. So our next set of text is Ezekiel 26 verses 12 through 14, and I'm going to read them. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timber and soil, they were cast into the midst of the waters. And I will stop the music of your songs and the sound of your lyres shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. You shall never be rebuilt for I am the Lord. I have spoken, declares the Lord. Yeah, so there's a few uh, key phrases we're going to pull out of this section as well. The first one we're going to talk about is the word they. Um, A few moments ago, we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar and what he would do to Tyre. He was going to kill the daughter villages. He was going to um, 
lay siege against the city. But now the pronouns change. It's a subtle change, but it's something that's going to matter. Now we're talking about they. And personally, I think this is talking about the other armies that are going to attack Tyre. So now we're not just talking about Nebuchadnezzar. We're talking about the many nations, um, the next waves after Nebuchadnezzar. So keep that they, that word they in mind. The next thing um, that's really interesting is your stones and timber and soil, they will cast into the midst of the waters. Now, personally, when I read something like this, I'm like, oh, figurative language. That's nice. Like they're just saying they're really going to destroy them. But keep that phrase in mind because we're going to come back to that later. The next thing um, that's mentioned is that Tyre will become a place for the spreading of nets. Um, And of course, in that time, and I would say even now, it still makes sense um, that we're talking about fishermen, fishing, right? You're spreading your nets, you're casting your nets out um, to catch fish. And of course, we see this many other times in the Bible. And the last thing I want to just point out in this section of verses is that the Lord says that Tyre will never be rebuilt. And if you're wondering how that makes any sense, since there is a modern day tire, just hang on and, and we'll get to that at the end of uh, this discussion. So so our first prophecy requirement here, we'll just, we'll just sort of sum up the requirements for this prophecy to be fulfilled. The first one is that multiple nations will go against Tyre. There will be several. And they will come one after the other. There will be a succession of them. The second, or the third one rather, is surrounding farming villages will be slain by the sword. The fourth is walls and towers of Tyre will be destroyed, not simply breached. Nebuchadnezzar will siege and breach the town. He will um, he he will siege and it will be a successful siege. And uh, Tyre will be thrown into the sea by the they, the, the other nations, um, not Nebuchadnezzar. It will become like the top of a rock, so very bare. Think of like a plateau, very flat area. And then fishermen will cast their nets there. Um, All right, so let's talk about the siege. So let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar first. And then we're going to talk about the other nations. So Nebuchadnezzar decides to lay siege to Tyre during his reign. He decides he's going to um, take over the city. Now, he sieges Tyre for, get this, Bethany, he sieges Tyre for 13 years. That's crazy. That's a long time. It's a very long time. Like, I'd give up. I'd be done. Yeah. But obviously, it was important enough to him. And, of course, in in sieging the, the city, you know, the he killed the the daughter villages, right? Like he, you know, they were smaller. They didn't have the same kind of defense that the main city did. So he kills all them off and then he actually sieges the city. So the the city of Tyre actually, like that was, that was the main city, but then there was also the island of Tyre. So the island of Tyre was a small island about half a mile off the coast. And it was well, um, it was well fortified and defended. And Tyre, of course, had a powerful navy, which was honestly just a necessity. Like, they were a main port. Yeah. So you had to have a good navy, right? So they did, um, which is something Nebuchadnezzar did not have. So attacking them um, and their navy was not really an option, which is why he sieged them. On land. Right. So, but here's the thing. The inhabitants of the city during these 13 years, um, they gradually start to escape and move off to the island, okay? Which is 
Nebuchadnezzar can't get to them there. They move off to this island, and that's why it takes them so long. They were able to like get food and that sort of thing. So after 13 years, Nebuchadnezzar finally does get through to the city. So he, he breaches its walls. He gets in. The thing is, most of the people are gone at this point. The it's it's it is a victory but it's not a very sweet one because you know he wasn't able to um really attack the people he he got a hold of the city but that was kind of it nothing really happens for 253 years do you want to talk about the next the sure. next attack on tyre yeah. so 250 years later which is 333 um bce um alexander the great um he's 23 years old he is like uh, the the wonder boy, the wonder kid of the ancient world. He's conquering everybody. He's got military might, military, like, very smarts. He's going for everything. And so he moved he, very fast. Yes, that That's was the his, point. That was his, the way he took over was that he, most cities, like, when they saw him coming, they didn't have time to get their defense ready. Yeah. Because he, he, he would march his soldiers like through the night and just all day. So this guy is pretty brilliant militarily and he shows up to Tyre and he has this thing where he will offer, um, to be like, Hey, I won't attack you if you just let me be like the head. Yeah. He, he definitely gives surrender as the first option. Oh yeah. He's like, we don't want to spend time doing this. If you say yes, I'll move on. No problem. Yeah. And he would just take over areas, but he had a custom where he wanted to, sacrifice to any and every god yeah and that's what he wanted to do in tyre yeah so he tries to do this to tyre um and he sends these messengers to tyre and they're like huh yeah don't think so so they take them up to the walls of the city slit their throats and throw their bodies down the cliff into the water yeah so and that's they, a hard no <laughs> yeah and the reason that they didn't want him to sacrifice was really just like a a bylaw of the city they they had a rule where you couldn't sacrifice in their temples unless you were a citizen and uh so they told him no you can't sacrifice in our temples you're not a citizen so alexander didn't actually have a navy force to get to them you'd think that if the last person who tried this didn't have a navy and failed you'd probably want a navy if you tried again alexander's too smart for that and he he's gonna need a navy because the city is on this island now yes they are they are no longer on the mainland so instead he built a causeway which is another word for a very long bridge from one place to another yeah, although it's it's not so much a bridge as it is, like, it, it doesn't go over the water. Instead, it goes through, like, yeah. in the water. I it's, suppose that makes more sense. Yeah. So, he used the ruins of the old city to build the causeway by throwing lumber and stone into the ocean. So, he's like, okay, what have I got to make it from here to there? What can I throw into the sea to make the water shallow enough that I can, like, march troops across it? And he looks around, and he's got all of the destroyed city of Tyre sitting around him. So he just starts throwing it into the sea. Yeah, which is really interesting. It This part really struck me of the prophecy because I'm like, well, it, the, the city was literally cast into the sea. It's easy for me to take that figuratively, but it it happened in a literal sense. Which it it's kind of like God went above and beyond what people would expect from him. Because if, if God makes this sort of prophecy, you're going to be like, you're going to try to cut him a little leeway. But he's like, I'm going to do one step further and make this literal. Yeah. It, it, and the thought of all of this old city being thrown into the water, it's very powerful to me. Mm-hmm. So he made it halfway to the Tyrians, 
before they destroyed it. Yeah, they actually took a ship and like lit it on fire and just rammed it into the causeway so that it caught fire and was destroyed. I think that's kind of smart. Alexander is like, hmm, this is an issue. I'll just build another one. So he starts again. And he builds another causeway. And this time he makes it all the way across. He makes it to the island. He breaches the walls. He kills all the men, which was between seven and 8,000 men. And anybody left is either also killed or taken as slaves, which was pretty custom in those days when you're taking over a city. Oh, yeah. So Tyre now, the main city is on is still on that island. But what's happened is that that causeway has collected sand and silt over the years. So now it, it, it looks like all one piece of land. Um, but if you look at a picture of it, it's like this little peninsula jutting out into the sea. And uh, and Tyre is, is still there. It's still called Tyre. It's Tyre in Lebanon. Um, so a lot of people look at this and go, well, Tyre was rebuilt. So what about that last point about Tyre never being rebuilt? Was Tyre actually rebuilt? The de- definition of rebuilt, the real definition, is to return or restore to prior state. So the idea is that it's kind of has to be the same as it was before or pretty close yeah i yeah i would agree with that and i think um there's different analogies you could use but if you if you have like i said a a home that you are going to restore you're going to use as much of the original material as you can and you're going to make it look the same it's going to have the same function it's going to be recognizable yeah you're going to look at that house and go like oh that's a house from the 1700s like you're gonna you're gonna know that yeah um but this city was never none of the old parts were used because all the old parts were underwater (laughs) (laughs) um and the city was never returned to its former glory If, if you look at a picture of the harbor of tyre now it's all these little fishing boats there's yeah. all kinds of, it's like these personal fishing boats where people fish for a living and they live in Tyre, but the city is not nearly what it used to be. And when we say not nearly, we mean not at all. Yeah. Like it does not look like it. It's not even in the same place as before, as Tyre no. was before. It looks very much like a small town, small community. Yeah. And if you compare it with the world's largest shipping ports today... There's a huge difference. You look at pictures of Shanghai or Long Beach, California, and, you know, it's like miles of <laughs> of shipping containers and warehouses and ships, right? Yeah. That's not Tyre. Tyre, no. Tyre is no longer the largest seaport in the known world. It it's, can no longer be called Queen of the Seas. Yeah. So picture that in in this case, you have the largest, most beautiful seaport um, in the known world, and then it's been standing for 2,000 years, and it comes and gets destroyed, and in its place, hundreds of years later, is a tiny little fishing village. No one is going to say, that's Tyler's been rebuilt. It doesn't make sense. Even if you give it the same name. Exactly. Which they don't. (laughs) They call it New Tyre, and then there's New Tyre versus Old Tyre. So Bethany, why don't you why don't you go ahead and tell us why you think we should study fulfilled prophecy in scripture? Well, first of all, this is more of a recent thing for me and for you too, Emily. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm all for it. I'm all excited about it. And one of the reasons it really strengthens like what I understand about the Bible is that it's, it establishes the validity. So if you 
bring this to somebody who's not a believer, they can go fact check the facts and come back and be like, yes, that's that's true. Like this thing was written way beforehand. Like I don't know if we mentioned that, but the prophecy was written hundreds of years before this even happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's important because it's not like, oh, they must have written this after to refer to the time. No, like we can prove that it didn't. Um, And that to me is like, okay, if there was any book that was ever going to claim to be from God, this is what I would want to find in it to prove it. This is what I'd be, I would be looking for this. I'd be looking for God to give information that man could never use or find Mm -hmm. and give it to us so far ahead of that event that we could never say it was written afterwards and then have it laid out perfectly when the time does come. So it definitely establishes the validity of the Bible. So the Bible is valid and you can trust it. Yeah. Well, to me, it's very encouraging. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, if you had ever asked me how I knew the Bible was true, I I wouldn't have had an answer for you. Um, Other than that, I had a good feeling about it. That's not how we decide our faith and theology. So for me, it's it's just proof that we can trust what God says. Like if, yeah. if he has this prophecy that he has exactly fulfilled, that means I can trust everything else he says. I can trust his promises. I can trust unfulfilled prophecies. I can trust everything else in his word because this has established that his word is true. And uh, so in that way, it's it's very encouraging for me. Yeah. I, I think that this could be really helpful for any Christian, young or old, to be able to give a reason for, for what they believe yeah. that is relevant to people who are not believers. So this has been our episode on fulfilled historical prophecy. We hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, you can um, find us on Facebook on Instagram. You can check out our podcast. Send us an email at renewtheology at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really loved it um, and you think it's useful, please share it with your friends, your family, share it on social media. We'd love for this faith bolstering um, information to reach it to as many people as possible. Thanks for listening.